So quick straw poll. How many of you um, ate way too much and blew whatever diet or eating pattern you were on this this week? Yeah, we had, um, man, there are a couple times a year um, in which my wife truly demonstrates her love for me. And Thanksgiving is one of those days, um, as our house has just way more people than a house was designed to have in it. Um, and uh, she spends a lot of time in the kitchen solely because she knows that I love Thanksgiving. Now, some of you who came over thought it was for you. <laughs> it wasn't. Um, it was all for me. Um, but one of the things that happens when you have so many people over is that uh, sometimes you don't get enough of the turkey because uh, other people are getting in on that. So we went ahead and made another one yesterday um, to make that happen. So I, uh, I double turkeyed it this weekend. And um, as I was coming in during the first song, I was doing some stuff out there and I came in and I walked by the donut box. I realized, man, some of you are still counting this as Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> You'll start tomorrow getting back to your regular. Um, yeah. Um, so great weekend. This is one of the best um, weekends um, for me all year, especially since it's become an annual tradition of my Ohio State Buckeyes um, making mincemeat of the team up north. And so, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's a, it's a good time. I've had a good time. But um, I want to uh, finish off the weekend uh, talking about um, talking about power some more. We started two weeks ago uh, with this idea of power, and we 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 looked at the idea that all of us have an arena of power within our life, um, and we don't think we do because when you think of powerful people, you think of people who are more powerful than you are. Um, but all of us in some arena of life uh, have been given a measure of power. Some of us may be managers or bosses, or maybe you're a parent or an oldest sibling, um, or I, I don't know, you have spending power, yeah, all kind of power. We talked about all kinds. In fact, the, um, in fact the, the, the first week, I really wanted to sink in, and so I made everybody write down the areas that they have power in. And um, I got to tell you, as I went through and was reading some of the cards um, and, it, and it was anonymous, so, you know, people were able to call themselves out without me knowing. And as I was going through and reading, a lot of times people just write down kind of surfacey stuff like, oh, I got to write something. Um, you know, if, if, if my oldest son would have been in here and I asked him to write down something, it didn't matter what it was. He'd have been like, uh, Jesus, and, you know, that's, and put it in because that's what you answer on Sundays, right? Um, but man, you know, there was, I, was, I was proud of some of the uh, self-reflection and the areas of power and understanding where it is that you, you yield power. And so we started looking at the idea that first week of what are you going uh, to do with it? Um, and so then that led us into week two where we asked the question, why would God give us power? Because after all, power is given. It's a stewardship. Um, we're going to lose it at some juncture. Nobody keeps it forever. So why would God give you power? We looked at an amazing passage last week as Jesus demonstrated that you're given power to immediately look to give it away and to leverage it, um, to elevate those who are around you. Now, as we keep going um, this week, I, I want to look back at, there was something I threw in right at the end of week one that I want to go back and look at, talk about just a little bit more today. And, and that's, that's one of the dangers of power. One of the dangers of power is this, is that all of us at one point or another are going to be tempted to leverage our power in order to maintain and protect our power. 
And the reason that we do that is because that's what's modeled all around us. That's what's modeled in culture. Um, that's how, when you look at people around you and how they rose to where they are, uh, that's how they got there by using their power to protect their power and gain more power. Um, and you can look at almost all parts of society and find people who do this, use power to preserve power. But when we do that, and this is kind of gonna be our focus for today, if you, um, if you can't hang with me and I'm gonna get a little too boring and you start counting ceiling tiles um, in here, here's, here's, Here's kind of the bottom line is that, is that when we do that, many times, not every time, but many times when we use our power to protect our power, we find ourselves at odds with God, which is not a good place to find yourself. But there's a tendency within all of us to resist the will of God while, and, and this is kind of the weird thing about that we never think about it. We resist the will of God while trying to protect the blessings of God, while trying to protect the things that God gave us in the first place. And at some point in life, and you don't need to have been a Christian to have experienced at some point in life, that there was something that was going on. There was something that you wanted. There was something that was getting ready to happen. And, and you, you prayed, you know, you may, it may have been a, God, help me, a, God, will you please give me, God, can this just happen this way? You know, for, for some of you, you know, it, it, you may not be a big prayer. It may, it may not have gotten any further than, and under your breath, oh, God, help me, as you walked into a meeting, unsure of what was getting ready to happen. But at some point you've prayed, and probably there's times that you've experienced that whatever you prayed for, you got that it worked out the way you were hoping it would work out, that it worked out the way that you had prayed for it to work out. And, and, and for, for many of you, when that happened, you just kind of had that thought in your mind, like, oh, thank God. Thank God that happened. Uh, for, for some of you, may, you may have been real excited about it. And maybe some of you are, are, are super Christians and you're like, oh, that means I got to testify. And so you called up some friends. I asked God to do this. And God answered my prayer, Right? And it could have been anything. You could have been praying for a job. You could have been praying for a date. You could have been praying for uh, something financially to work out your way. I mean, anything. And suddenly you're in a position to where something broke your way. And all of a sudden you find yourself with a new arena of power. And it may not be superpower, but it's power. And you're convinced that if God had not intervened on your behalf, that you wouldn't be in the position that you're in, then time goes by. And this happens to all of us. Time goes by and an opportunity comes up, but you gotta do something. And if you choose to do the right thing, you'll honor God. But if you choose to do the wrong thing, you may find yourself advancing in whatever position you're in, but hmm. It means you'll have to violate your own rules. It means you'll have to act against your values, against your morals. It, it, it means you're gonna have to violate your ethics. But I mean, that's how business is done, right? You don't climb the ladder without doing it this way, right? This is how every family I know operates, right? And we're tempted. And now you have a choice to make because then you're faced with this idea of, okay, am I gonna leverage this power that God has given me anyway 
to honor God or am I going to use it to protect my position and my power or maybe even advance my position and power? And all of a sudden, maybe in that relationship that you prayed to God to have, maybe all of a sudden that person's pushing you to go places that you're not ready to go. And if you make the decision that honors God, you may end up losing the relationship. Maybe, uh, maybe you find yourself in a position of financial power because you came across something, a, a business deal worked out your way or you got lucky in some way and it broke your way and now you've got this chunk of money that you didn't have before. And all of a sudden the rules kind of seem to change a little bit. And you find yourself tempted to do things that you would never have thought you would have done before. I mean, come on, as fun as it is to sit around and dream about winning a million dollars in the lottery and like, you're like, this is what I would do with it. And you like, look at your list and you're like, I am the most noble person ever. How many lottery winners spend it that way? <laughs> the answer is none, none do. Because all of a sudden with that power comes kind of this new set of rules, this new set of pressures, and all of a sudden we begin to resist the will of God in order to maintain the things that God gave us in the first place. We begin to resist the will of God. That, that, is, that is the idea of here's what I want you to do relationally. Here's what I want you to do when you manage your business. Here's, here's how I want you to handle your money. Here's how I want you to be generous. Here's what honesty and integrity means within whatever position of power that you have. And in order to leverage our power to maintain what we said at the beginning was a blessing of God, we may have to violate those things. That thing that if we're like, man, God, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have this. All of a sudden we're like, oh, okay, God, step aside. I got to protect this. And it's a trap that we all fall into. And you would never have dreamed that you would do this. And when we talk about it, we think, well, yeah, that doesn't even make sense. Why would I do that? But listen, power is intoxicating. It's intoxicating. So much so that we can't imagine the lengths that we go to in order to protect it once we have. And when we were powerless, because we all found ourselves powerless at times, when you had no financial resources and you're just scraping by and eating a whole lot of ramen noodles... Maybe when you, when you were just hoping to get a job of any sort, let alone a career that would set you up for anything, when you had no relationship and no prospects on the horizon, we would have said, you know, if I had, you know, whatever I had, if I had what I wanted and the power that went with it, this is how I would act. And we'd say, this is what we would do. But once we have the power, we're tempted to change the rules because everybody around us handles their power differently. And we begin to leverage our power, not to honor God, but to maintain our power. So today I, I want to look at a guy who found himself in the exact same type of position. Um, and hopefully none of us will ever find ourselves in a position with this level of implication. But within this story um, is, this, is this incredible insight that may surface the issue that many of us um, either have struggled with, are struggling with, or are going to struggle with in our life. And hopefully we can find a context in which we discover how we should respond. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 11. And in this passage, uh, there's a guy named Caiaphas. Um, and we've talked about Caiaphas in the past, but he was the most powerful Jewish person alive during the life of Christ. 
I mean, he held it all. He was the high priest, which was the highest position within the Jewish religious system. He had been in that position for 15 years. Nobody had ever held the position of high priest for that long before him. And because of this, he had extraordinary power. He had religious power. He had uh, social power. He had power with Rome. He had power with the Jewish people. I mean, on every level, on every front, this guy had an extraordinary amount of power. And he was the only one in the entire nation who was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. That was the innermost area of the temple. And only once a year could he go in, but he was the only one in the nation that was able to go in and offer up on behalf of the people and the nation of Israel, a sacrifice to God on the, on the day of atonement. He, he was also the president of a group called the Sanhedrin, which the Sanhedrin would probably, the closest you could get in our modern day governmental system would probably be the Supreme Court. Um, but they made the laws, they interpreted the laws, they enforced the laws. So they were even more powerful than our Supreme Court. And he ran that. He was, it was the most powerful Jewish body organization. And he was the head of it. He also had power with Rome because Rome was the, was the power that put him in as the high priest which initially made a whole bunch of Jewish people really upset because how dare Rome decide who our religious leaders are going to be. But he had handled himself in such a way over the years that he had gained trust and influence with the people and all of the Jewish people really respected him. And so he had power at every level. And things went really well for Caiaphas for a long time. And then Jesus showed up. And when Jesus showed up, things began to change. Now, the religious leaders, as we look back with the perspective of history and we read through the gospels and see it all, um, I mean, they really, they really get a, a bum rap um, for being really bad guys. But, but they found themselves in a precarious situation that I'm not so sure if any of us had been in their position, we'd have handled it any differently. Because one of the responsibilities of the religious leaders was that they were supposed to keep an eye out and identify, look for the coming Messiah, the promised Messiah. And if that person came, they were to identify this is the Messiah and declare we're all on board with him. And so this was kind of, this was kind of their thing. And, and for hundreds of years, between the, the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that was 500, 600 years, in that gap, a lot of guys showed up claiming to be the Messiah, right? And, and if you're the high priest, you got to be careful there because A, you don't want to miss the Messiah if he does show up, but B, you don't dare want to find yourself siding with a false Messiah because if you side with a false Messiah, well, then God's not going to be with that movement and it's eventually going to fail. And if you sided with somebody who all of the Jewish people look to the Messiah to be the one to rise up and deliver them from the powers of Rome. And if you sided with that and it failed, uh, Rome would come in and wipe you out, squash you like a bug. And so they were in a precarious position. And so on one hand, they're looking for the Messiah. We gotta be paying attention. He's gonna be showing up. But on the other hand, they dare not throw their hat in the ring with the wrong person. So here comes Jesus. He starts saying and teaching some really strange things, right? 
and supposedly doing all of these miracles that they keep hearing these things about. And they didn't like his theology. And he came from the wrong place to be an important person. And he broke a lot of their rules and their customs and made them look bad. And if he was the Messiah, they knew that things would not go very well for them because Jesus kept calling them out. And he kept making them look really bad in public, which was bad because their job was to professionally be good. Stop. That was their job. <laughs> be good. Be good enough so that you re recognize the Messiah when he shows up. And then all of a sudden here's Jesus saying, oh yeah, I'm him. And by the way, the guys whose job it is to be good, they're not good. They're hypocrites. And so they were in a really, really tough spot. Jesus was bad news for these guys. So there's this tension building between them. It just keeps getting, Jesus claiming to be a Messiah. The people looking to the religious leaders for confirmation, like, is he or isn't he? Because he's doing all these things. And as time keeps going by, Jesus getting more and more and more followers, becoming more and more popular, gaining momentum. And then it all kind of came to a head. Because one day Jesus is sitting with his disciples. And some people show up with some news. They say, Jesus, your good friend Lazarus is sick. Now, Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends, and he wasn't just a good friend. He was, him and his sisters were financial supporters of Jesus' ministry. And so Lazarus was a big deal to Jesus personally. Somebody shows up, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. You need to come. You need to come. And Jesus kind of says, yeah, I'm just going to sit here and let him die. Now that's not a quote because <laughs> that would be really heartless. But that's what his action was. All the disciples, when they heard it, they're like, oh, okay, here we go. Let's go, Jesus. And they look, Jesus just sitting there. He's like, nah, guys, sit down. Said, what, we're not going? We're not going? They didn't go. They sat there doing nothing while his good friend was sick. Short amount of time goes by. Lazarus dies. After he's dead, he's embalmed. He's put into a tomb, stone rolled in front of the tomb. After the stone's there, and he's in a couple days in the tomb, Jesus then decides to show up. And Lazarus' sisters weren't happy with Jesus. A lot of people in the Jewish community weren't happy with Jesus because after all, they were saying things like, oh my goodness, if he can do all of these miracles and he's healing strangers and doing all these things for people he doesn't know, why would he not have shown up for such an important person in his life? And with the crowd around him kind of upset at him, Jesus does this weird thing. He says, hey, let's get the stone rolled away from this tomb. And one of my favorite phrasings in, in scripture, and, and it's only found in the King James version, is there was an objection to the stone being rolled away. Somebody said, Lord, we don't want to roll the stone away because surely, and this is where the King James come in, surely it stinketh. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get too many stinkeths in our culture. They were like, no, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. No, 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 we, 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 we don't want to do this. He stinketh. In other words, he had been in there a few days. 
Lazarus was dead, like dead, dead, not like mostly dead, right? He was all the way dead. So they roll back the stone. Sure enough, they were right, stinketh. And then Jesus kind of stops what he's doing and he prays this interesting prayer that basically is like, he prays out loud for everybody here. And the prayer is basically like, God, okay, I'm getting ready to do this. You know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I'm just saying this prayer so that they hear it. They know you and I are on the same page and working together here. And that's pretty much what he does. And then he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And a man who had been dead for four days comes walking out. And at that juncture, all that momentum that had kind of been building with Jesus' ministry, I mean, things really just kind of break loose. I mean, up to that point, it was like, yeah, he healed a blind guy, you know, but maybe that was legally blind or maybe he was faking. We don't really know. Yeah, yeah, he got that one guy to walk, you know, but maybe, you know, maybe that guy wasn't really lame. Maybe he was just limping. Maybe he just had a bad knee. You know, we, we don't really know. Okay, but a dead man? who'd been dead long enough to stinketh, (laughs) to come walking out of a tomb. Oh my goodness. And the number of people who at that juncture bought into Jesus and jumped on the Jesus bandwagon skyrocketed. And now Caiaphas and his crew on the Sanhedrin are in a real dilemma because what do they say now? They'd been trying to avoid it up to this point. But all of a sudden, they can't avoid it even more. So John chapter 11, beginning verse 45. says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him, which, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> it, doesn't, it, don't, it doesn't matter what a guy is saying. If he makes a dead dude come out, you, uh, okay, I'm with you. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And this was a big deal. What are we accomplishing, they ask? Here is this man performing many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Time out. They've fallen for a trap. Guys, guys, guys. Sanhedrin, I just heard your little speech of what you're concerned about. I got one question. Okay, maybe two. Our temple? Our nation? Hey, Sanhedrin, what do you, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? What do we mean? Like they're going to take our nation. Your nation? Well, I mean, you know, there was like Abraham and Moses and kings and prophets and all. Okay, okay. Maybe it isn't our nation. Okay, maybe it's God's nation and he's just letting us be in charge for a little bit. Okay, it isn't really ours. We've just been given some temporary power. Okay. But in that moment, these extremely theologically astute guys have their power threatened. And their thought is, if things keep going the way that they're going, I am going to lose my place. 
I'm going to lose my nation, my power. Because listen, if there was ever, if there was ever anything that clearly belonged to God, it was the ancient nation of Israel, right? I mean, there, there, there's no doubt. But in the moment of their power being threatened, in the moment that they realized that it might be taken away from them, they thought it was their nation. The thing that God had given them to take care of for a little while, they had falsely come to think that it wasn't something God had given them, but that it was something that was theirs. And we stand back from a historical perspective and judge them for fearing to lose something that wasn't even theirs to begin with. But then I look at my situations. And maybe you look at your situations. And maybe we're worried about losing things that aren't even really ours to lose. And we're like, wow, well, if I, if I do... If I do this, which would honor God, which would be the right thing to do, somebody may come in and take away my place and my position and my power. And God would say to us, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up with that. It, isn't the thing you're worried about losing, isn't that the thing that you asked me for? Well, yeah. didn't I give it to you? Yeah, 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 you gave it to me. Did you not tell people it was because you prayed and I answered your prayer and I gave it to you? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. And now you're using where you are, where I put you, what I gave you to defend where you are and what you have instead of doing what you know to be right. Well, well yeah, I guess. What happened? What happened? How did, how did you get there? And what happened is the rules change. And suddenly we feel the pressure to leverage the power that God gave us to fend off God which is a really odd position to be in. And when we do that, we end up doing things that are dishonoring to God. To which when we step back and we look at that, we've got to ask what, how, how did we ever think that's right? How did we ever convince ourselves of that? And the answer is that's the deception of power. That's the intoxication of power. That's what happens when you get a little bit of power and you let it go to your head and it intoxicates you. And listen, some of us, when it comes to power intoxication, some of us are lightweights. It takes an embarrassingly small amount of power for us to be intoxicated with it. And here's Caiaphas and here's the Sanhedrin falling into that exact same mindset. If I don't get rid of Jesus... Rome is going to come in and remove me. He feared Rome more than he feared God. And when you find yourself at odds with God over the blessings of God, you fear losing what God gave you more than you fear God himself. That's a terrible place to put yourself in. And in doing so, you are attempting to take the role of God. And we know that makes no sense. And if you would ask us at the beginning of the whole ordeal, we'd just said, no, we'll never, never do that. I would never do that. But power, if allowed to take control of you and take root, will corrupt. But listen, all power, like we've said, is a stewardship. The question isn't how long you can hold on to it. The question is, what will you do with your power while you have it? Will you be 
that unique individual, a unique individual who in environments where everybody else is leveraging their power for themselves will let go of it and leverage it for those around you to honor the one who gave it to you in the first place. But Caiaphas, right? Caiaphas and his guys, they had a lot to lose and they couldn't see that this was what they were doing. All they could see is the power that would slip out of their hands if this Jesus thing kept going. So here's what happens. All all the big wigs are gathered together for the meeting. They're all fretting. What are we gonna do about this Jesus thing? Rome is gonna come in and crush us. What are are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Verse 49, then one of them named Caiaphas, here's our guy. One of them says, you know nothing at all. Little condescending. (laughs) He's like, come on guys. Do you think this is complicated? This is not complicated. You're overthinking this. He says, you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Guys, 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 listen up. I hear you fretting. Guys, I can save the nation. I can save our nation. I can save my nation. I have the power. All I have to do is just call a group of soldiers. They'll arrest. I can send a letter to Rome. Go have a conversation. Talk with Pilate. Guys, I am going to use my power. Wait, 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 Caiaphas, where did you get that power? Well, no, 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 we'll talk about that later. But I'm going to use my power as the high priest. Wait a minute, Caiaphas, how did you become the high priest? Who put you in that position? Mm, Never mind, we'll talk about that later. I'm going to use my power as the high priest over the nation of Israel, my nation. Wait, Caiaphas, isn't that God's nation? Okay, well, yeah, I don't wanna talk about that now. I'm gonna use my power to rid ourselves of our problem so that Rome will leave us alone. I am going to use my power to protect my power. Dropping down to verse 53. So from that day on, They plotted to take his life. And it's easy to read this story and look at it with our distance of time and look at it and be like, ah, what losers. I mean, he just raised a man from the dead. Why don't you guys just go with that? Don't you think if somebody has that kind of power, don't you think he might be the Messiah you were looking for? And don't you think he's the one that's gonna free you from Rome? Why are you worried about Rome? Guys, just kind of just kind of look at it. Clearly, it's the right thing to do. Who cares if Rome gets mad? Just do the right thing. It's so obvious. Just do the right thing. But isn't it true that a lot of people look at our situations from the outside? <laughs> And they watch what we're thinking and what we're doing. And they're looking at us going like, ah, it's so obvious. Just do the right thing. Why are you fearing what it is that you're fearing? Just do the right thing. And it's easy for people on the outside to look at us and see what's right. But they can do that because it's not their power at risk. 
And the same people that are looking at us are going to be like, oh, it's so obvious what you should do. Just do the right thing. There's somebody looking at them saying, oh, you need to do the right thing. Because you've blinded yourself to the fact that you are also using your power to save your power. And in doing so, pushing and rebelling against what God would have you do. It's obvious what should be done to other people because after all, power intoxicates. And it blurs our vision as to what we are really doing. And suddenly we find ourselves resisting God to protect what God gave us in the first place. And when you sacrifice your morals and your ethics and you go against your values and your sense of right and wrong, everything that you're trying to hold on to begins to slip away anyway. You've undermined your own standing. You begin to lose influence with the people around you. You, you know what happened to Caiaphas in this story? Him. He was successful in what he was doing. He got word out to Pilate. He called the soldiers. They um, put Jesus through the mock trial very public death on a cross in hopes to squash this whole little uprising that he was creating. Then three years later, three years later, somebody came in and took his place and all of his power was gone. And about three years after that, Rome came in and destroyed the temple and that was the end of the Sanhedrin. They would never meet again. It went from being the most powerful body in the entire nation to not even existing. Whatever power they thought they had was gone. And 2,000 years later, we sit here and we worship Jesus. And we wouldn't even know who Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin was if they weren't a footnote in Jesus' story because he surely was not a footnote in theirs. So let me ask you, what has God given you? What has God blessed you with that you now find yourself tempted to resist his will in order to protect it? What is it that you have that you find yourself tempted with the idea of maybe violating some of your own ethical code? violating your principles, doing things that you know is not the right thing to be doing in order to maintain that thing that God gave you anyway? Are you leveraging your power to preserve your power or are you leveraging your power to lift up those around you? I mean, we just got done with a holiday this week that hopefully at some juncture during the week and weekend, you took a little bit of time to reflect on the things that you're grateful for, things that came from God, things that we could not have done on our own and we're not of our own doing. But perhaps we need to take it a bit further to end the Thanksgiving weekend. Perhaps we need to just not recognize and be thankful that we have those things, but maybe we need to perhaps ask, where am I wrestling with God? Because of fear, that I'm going to lose the thing that I'm so grateful that God gave me in the first place. 
Because we're all tempted to do it at some point or another. There's probably a lot of us doing it right now. What are you doing with your power? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, first of all, I, I thank you for the things that you have entrusted us with, the things that you have given us, the things that you have put temporarily under our power. And Lord, I pray that as we go out and go through this week, Lord, that, that you bring to mind areas in which we are resisting you, areas in which we're not honoring you, but we're violating your principles in an effort to protect the thing that you gave us in the first place. Lord, when we begin to do it, let it be so obvious in our mind that we can't resist acknowledging, ah, this is what I'm doing. I'm using my power to protect my power. And in the process, I'm pushing God away. Lord, let us be people who when we recognize our areas of power, that our response is how can I leverage this for others? How can I honor God with what God has entrusted to me? Lord, I thank you that we are stewards, that you give us the amount that you give us. Lord, let us show ourselves worthy of it. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out. Look forward to next week as we gather together again. It's a beautiful